This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. We've all heard the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, and my guest today would no doubt agree. She's a former recruiter for one of the largest staffing firms in the world, but chose to follow her passions and is now an author, stand-up comedian, an actor, TEDx speaker, and a screenwriter. Amy Lyle, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I do all those things and I make about $9 a month. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is quite the resume, I have to say. I do know that you have said that you really loved being a recruiter. In fact, you did it for more than 10 years. But in your early 40s, something shifted for you. You created yourself, recreated yourself, and you switched to your creative endeavors almost by accident. How did that happen? When I got remarried, my husband had three small children and I had a daughter and he suggested, well, you know, this one has violin and this one has soccer, this one has football. Would you be willing to be a stay-at-home mom? And I would recommend that people don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) It was very stressful. You know, being a salesperson, you see your name in lights, you're at the president's club. It's a performance job, folding laundry. And and that's a very important job being a mom. It just... I missed that creative side. Somebody put my name in, they passed out postcards at church and they put my name in to be a host for one of the biggest nonprofits in the country. And I auditioned and they said, oh, we'll call you, don't call us. And then I called them back in two weeks and they're like, no, really, we'll call you. <laughs> and then I found out later that nobody else auditioned or the people that they liked couldn't make the commitment. So I got on board with this act role and it lasted for 10 years until COVID and ended up being a writer for them. That's what kicked it off initially. Wow. Well, maybe you call it by accident because it kind of was by accident, but I almost kind of think it was not coincidental that all of this happened for you. (laughs) Being a stand-up comic takes, I think, real chutzpah. What does it feel like to do stand-up comedy? I've never done drugs, Liz, but I am assuming that's what it feels like. It is like an out of body experience and it is an addiction. It's so fun. And I did this great class in Atlanta several years ago. We have all these reunion shows. It uh, makes you a better writer. If you can say it in five words, don't say it, you know, in six. The only way I can describe it is magical. It's so magical. When did you realize or know you were funny. I grew up in a very violent household. My parents were always fighting. And my sister and I, we would put on entire stand-up comedy routines in the basement in between roller skating to like the Grease uh, soundtrack. And my sister and I are, were both funny. And we started, our shtick was, of course, imitating our parents because that's a really 
good way to process trauma is through humor. Sadly, a lot of uh, stand-up comics do have that in their background. It was a way they're either being bullied at home or they're being bullied at school. It's a survival technique. So I think from a pretty young age, I mean, I've never thought about being a stand-up comic necessarily, but I was, you know, popular at dinner parties. (laughs) I can tell a good story. (laughs) How did humor help you heal from what you described just a moment ago as this sort of violent, kind of chaotic, dysfunctional family? How did humor help you heal? I think throughout my life, time and I, I do share you 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 read my book and all all the the failures in there and um you know those are a lot of them are lighter but a lot of them are heavy hittier uh, hitting coming from a violent family getting divorced you know that's not funny but what i found is vulnerability and kind of sharing a little bit not too much but sharing a little bit of your failures or your hurts with other people draws people to you. When I do speaking engagements, I always do this little test. It's so revealing of if you are repulsed, it's a repellent for people that have perfect lives or act like they're perfect. You don't feel like you're welcomed in that versus if you have a little bit of vulnerability to you, you can draw people to you. Who were your comedic influences? Oh my gosh, I love Molly Shannon. Her physical comedy is so funny. Think of her on Saturday Night Live or Superstar. Tina Fey, I love Jimmy Fallon. Normally, I'm drawn to people that are more clean comedy, like a like a Jim Gaffigan. I don't like uh, comics that are mean spirited. Like they pick mm. on the audience. I don't I don't care for that. I like more uh, self disclosing. Let's get back to your books because you just mentioned them a moment ago, and you actually have two books. Congratulations. Your Mm -hmm. most recent book is, We're All a Mess, It's Okay, and I couldn't agree more with that statement. But your first book, which is entitled The Book of Failures, and I spent the weekend reading it, and I had so many laugh out loud moments. How would you describe your humor? The book is like vignette. And so think of it as just like little stand-up comedy bits. That's kind of how the book is. So it's super easy to read, as you know, and it's just personal funny stories from everything of, you know, horrible vacations to strange mother-in-law gifts to trying to navigate my way through being a stepmom. Okay, so I picked out three vignettes and I want you to briefly give us a synopsis because I wanted to share them with our audience. Cooper and Febreze. Yes, I discovered our dog was, his hair was falling out, this big fluffy golden retriever. You know, we were doing everything. We have a vet in the, in the family, maybe calm music, you know, change his diet. Maybe it's his bedding. I mean, we're doing all this stuff like mm, massage oils, you know, what's wrong with his dog. And then um, I was at a tennis match and I, I forgot the banana. So I ran home to get the bananas and the sweet, sweet housekeeper was spraying our dog with Febreze. And uh, <laughs> you can't spray a dog. You can't spray a dog with Febreze. So, you know, she and once that the stopped, the, the hair grew back, right? The hair grew right, back. Exactly. Like I want the, I want the house to smell good and this big shaggy dogs in here. So anyway, she learned after that, you can't spray animals with Febreze. All right. The freeway story. I was not talking to you. Okay, that goes back to when I was single. There was a super handsome 
preppy guy next to me and in a nice car, his car was tidy. And he was trying to get my attention, like honking or, you know, waving me down. And I created this story list in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, he really likes me. Like, you know, I'm naming our, I'm a woman, I'm naming our kids. I'm thinking, you know, wonder if he has a house in the Hamptons, you know, the whole bit. And then finally we stopped next to each other at a stop. Like I rolled him the window and he's like, your belt from your coat is dragging, it's bouncing around. <laughs> and then before I could even be like, oh, thank you, he the light turned green and he took off. So yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> All right, and briefly, calls from Sharon. Oh my goodness, so Sharon is one of my best friends. Maybe you guys uh, listening have a friend like this where they call you and it's almost like you didn't hear the first couple minutes of the story, they just break right in. And she also likes to have conversations with me while she's doing other things. You know, like she'll be at a fast food restaurant ordering, but then also talking to me. And she's really funny. And I think everyone will be like, oh, I have a best friend like that. The vignettes are a lot of fun. And as I said, I was laughing out loud with them. And uh, I encourage people to, if you want an easy read, something that'll capture your attention very quickly, this book will do it. Your TEDx which is called Finding the Funny in the Crummy. One of the things that you said that I thought was very revealing, healing power of humor is much stronger than we think. And you call it, you've created a word, connective humor. How so? I really enjoyed the, doing that TED Talk because it forced me to do kind of more the science side of humor. Studies from uh, breast cancer patients or you know people uh, going through treatments if they have a little bit of humor in their life every day, how that lowers their blood pressure and how they feel more optimistic. I also referenced a study of Vietnam POWs that were exposed to horrific torture and conditions, but they they could see each other because they were in this, this prison camp together and just being able to, to give each other looks and to know that they're together and see the, 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 believe it or not, the funny part of this, the craziness that, that they were in, that when they came back and they gave them all these examinations, that's what they attributed their being able to maintain their mental health is even being able to find the funny in the most horrific circumstances. And this is uh, a true thing when I when I looked up the study and they were asking them, you know, what was so funny? And uh, the soldier said, you, you would have to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nothing that they would say would be funny to you and I, but in the moment of being there, they clung to that. It's amazing. So there is a lot of healing power in humor. You also mentioned in that TEDx about encouraging everyone to develop their own humor lens. How do we do that, Amy? Okay, that is a scientific study as well. It's just like going to the gym and developing your muscles. It's something that you do every day. So I give recommendations of you know finding five funny things a day. And at first, if you're kind of a pessimistic person or you don't really lean towards that, it's going to be really hard. But then if you do it every day, you will start to see the funny and different things. Another exercise that you can do is write everything down and really, really vent. You know, if you're having a bad day, you're getting a fight with your husband, if you're having it out with your teenagers, write it all down and then go back and look at that 30 days later 
and tell me you can't find the funny in your thinking because you're, you know, you're all worked up about it. I put in there um, in the TED talk, you know, if your husband just left you for your best friend, you might need more than 30 days to go back to review that. Amy, I am curious from your perspective about how someone learns to be funny. Is it nature? Is it nurture? What's your opinion? I'm 52 years old. And until a couple of years ago, I would have said it's nature. You either have it or you don't. But then I took this comedy course. I wanted to do stand up specifically and kind of, you know, telling a story at a dinner party is different than telling a story on stage. There were all these people there that you would never peg to be stand up comedians and their bosses, maybe they were leaders within their organization, but they weren't very client facing. And their bosses said, you need to take an improv class or a comedy class to be able to think on your feet. And I thought they are not going to be funny. And then lo and behold, you know, they're very smart and there is a recipe for comedy. So I think if someone's interested in comedy um, in their writing or even doing stand-up or just being a better dinner party guest or putting in some comedy in your public speaking, which the audience is normally drawn to, I think you absolutely can learn how to improve upon that. Wow. I, I often, when I'm working with my clients, if they've never taken an, an ad lib course, something like what you're talking about, it really can help you come out of your shell. It can yes. really help you explore and stretch that rubber band out of your comfort zone because that's really what it is. We get stuck in our comfort zones and we're, oh, that's maybe that's funny. Maybe that's not funny. And if I say that, will I be liked? Will I be booed? It's really hard for people, I think, sometimes to get out of that box they put themselves in. Especially A, type A people that, you know, my husband's, he's an engineer, he's a perfectionist. He's like, do not make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's unfortunately the source of a lot of my stand-up because, you know, he's a man. He's developed his own funny bone. I'm not going to take this personally. It's, you know, and people do relate to it. I mean, everybody, he could tell jokes about me too, but he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. It's a wise move. <laughs> Let's talk about your second book, which recently came out. We're all a mess. It's okay. What's that book about? When I was promoting the book of failures, every Friday, I would put a funny fail on social media. So for example, one time I put, I burned dinner and I didn't burn dinner in the oven or in the skillet. I ac I accidentally put the bottle, the box of noodles too close to the gas and the box of noodles caught on fire. Before I put it out, I actually took a picture of it, then extinguished the fire. I put that on my Friday fail. And then I'd always say, how was your week? And people would come up with much funnier those stories than either like, well, this has happened to me this week or, oh, one time I burned down, you know, whatever. And so I started reaching out. Can you tell me more about this story? Can I have the story? Can I change the story? Can I not give you any royalties for the story? Can I use your name? And so many people said yes. And so it's this really funny collection. It's a lot of families and friends and, and also people I didn't even know, like a member of some, some humor groups on social media. And I kind of put it out there like, I need a funny mother-in-law story or I need a funny travel story. You were almost killed, but then you weren't. It was really fun to do. And it was really fun to promote because when you have 50 authors, you have 50 little marketers that are excited about it. That was really exciting. One of the things that made me laugh out loud about your bio, you suggest that you have self-diagnosed yourself with many conditions, including OCD, and with all your various conditions, and I'll let people read about them in the book, that being 45, 
trying to break into Hollywood, managing a family, being a stepmom, raising four teenagers and a high maintenance dog all at the same time. And oh, yes, by the way, trying to please the Lord. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I think it's a pretty realistic snapshot for most women in the world or for most men. You cannot do everything perfectly. You're trying to be a mom. You're trying to have friendships. You're trying to be a good wife or a good employer. You really can only give your attention to one thing at a a time. I hope people take from that when you're at work, you're at work and you try to pour it on hundred percent. But then when you're home, that you really let yourself be home and enjoy those moments with your, your kids or your family. But there's humor in all of it. And we have to find the humor in all of it. You've also been very candid about your son, PJ, who has a rare disease. Describe what his condition is and how's he doing today? That is such a a horrible situation where my husband is a widow. His wife died of this really rare breast cancer when she was 33. She was pregnant. So when she had the baby and he had a lot of um, eczema and some uh, white blood cell issues, they kept misdiagnosing it. And finally, this Italian doctor was like, no, this is WAS, which is Westcott Aldridge Syndrome. It's super rare. Uh, women are the carriers of it. It required a bone marrow transplant. And his uh, sister, who was only five years old at the time, she volunteered. She said, I'm, I'm going to save my brother. And now, you know, he's doing very well. And there's all kinds of advances of that. And something, a miracle came out of that was my husband's fraternity, Sigma Nu out of Georgia Tech, created this nonprofit for that. And they have a big kickball event every year at Georgia Tech. And it's led to bringing the science side and physicians all over the world, sharing what they know about this rare disease into one place on a website. And also on the side of that money to help families that are in the hospital for weeks and weeks, uh, staying at Ronald McDonald, or if they can't do that, staying at a hotel. But you know, now we have a pretty healthy kid, which is amazing. Yeah, it's, I'm so happy to hear all that good news. You wrote in your book that you believe that all of these experiences you have gone through serve a purpose. What have you learned so far about their purpose? It's more in my head, but hasn't hit my heart yet, which I'm really, really trying to work on, is my finish line was to get a film made, a full feature film. Hollywood's harder than it sounds. And there's been many ups and downs with that. The film getting picked up and then it got dropped and then somebody wanted to change it to a sitcom. So it's very stressful. And I was kind of filling time with all these other things of writing books and doing stand-up. And that led to some interesting opportunities being on an Atlanta television show for a few years and ended up having my own little show. To be honest with you, Liz, it was just like fillers in my life because I wanted that film contract. And then through a mutual friend of ours, Elizabeth, she's working on a project. It stopped me in my tracks, that whole thing of like disrupting what success is. And and a girlfriend of mine disrupted me saying, this is your God-given gift is to make people feel better about their lives, make people feel better about their failures. You're doing that every day with everything that you do, with every stand-up, with every article that you write, with every speaking engagement that you do, you're lifting people up and making them feel not alone and being able to see the humor. I keep telling myself that it's a journey, it's a journey, it's a journey, because it is the journey and you have to appreciate you know, every little win. But that's something that I think high achievers uh, struggle with. You don't appreciate the little things along the way because you have your eye on this this prize. On the prize. Well, you did get a producer for your screenplay, so congratulations on that. Exactly. That's a big win. Uh, yes, having representation is huge. 
Last question for you. Where do you think you would be if you had given up on following your funny side? I think I'd be very sad and drinking heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Hey, folks, if you'd like to learn more about Amy or her books or everything that she's up to, just go to amylyle.me. That's A-M-Y-L-Y-L-E dot me. We're going to have that link in our show notes. You know, Amy, one of the things that I've often said about every family, including my own, every family is dysfunctional to one degree or another. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation. But I want to thank you for sharing so much of your quote unquote dysfunction so that we could all appreciate our own just a little bit more and find the humor in everything. Thank you for doing that for us today. Thank you for having me, inviting me. This was a delight. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. And I invite you to subscribe to the show, write a star review and share this as well. One of the things that Amy also shares is this. If you've survived, then you have hope. And isn't that all what we need? because you are never a failure. You're just having a little bit of trouble right now. Find the humor, find the hope, and live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud, and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.